This morning we read from Holy Scripture in the prophecy of Isaiah. We will read chapter 43. Isaiah 43. Remember the context here. The people of God are tempted and even serving the idol gods that they have made and that the nations around them serve. God will show the utter folly of that and the foolishness of that, although it should be very obvious even to the idol worshiper how utterly powerless and helpless the idols are dependent upon those who made them. God will expose that by showing himself and pointing out who he is and especially his sovereign providence and rule over everything. Isaiah 43, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, since thou wast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore, will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even every one that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled who among them can declare this and show us former things. Let them bring forth their witnesses, that they may be justified, or let them hear and say, It is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I 
Even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, who maketh the way of the sea, and the path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinct, they are quenched as tell. Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even make way in the wilderness, and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall go forth my grave. Thou hast not called upon me Thou hast been weary with me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy first offering, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor weary thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet king with money, neither hast thou filled me Thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thy iniquities. I, even I, and he, who has blotted out thy transgression for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare now. Thou mayest be justified. Thy first father has sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore, I have profaned princes and sanctuary, and have given Jacob the curse, and Israel to reproach it. Read that part of the Holy Word. Lord's Day 10. What dost thou mean by the providence of God? The Almighty and everywhere present power of God 
whereby, as it were by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by his providence doth still uphold all things? That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. The theme, of course, of this Lord's Day, beloved people of God, is providence, God's work of providence, a work of God that is distinctly different from God's work of salvation. Creation and providence are one thing, and salvation and redemption are something else. And yet, we may not separate or divide them which we can easily do. The connection we hope to make this morning to show how these two relate to each other and that one cannot separate or divide the two without imperiling the truth of one or the other. But that connection is pointed out by the fact that we are considering the work of God the Father. And although the Reformed faith and the Heidelberg Catechism here rightly focuses upon this particular work of God, creation and providence, in connection with God the Father, and treats God's work of salvation with God the Son and God the Spirit, yet already here and now, the Catechism is, as it were, setting us up for a further explanation of God's work of salvation by noting that connection, not explicitly, but implicitly, when it, in the first place, calls providence the work of God's fatherly hand. That immediately should bring to our mind, well, how is it that God is my Father? Given what I learned in the first part of the Catechism about my own depravity, giving even what I know about faith in the explanation of the Apostles' Creed that we are in, how is God my Father, because answering that question, we have a better understanding of what it is that providence is the work of God's fatherly hand. That connection is also brought out when we learn that there is advantage to believing 
this. Whether we believe or not, God is the creator and the provider. But for those that believe, there is advantage, there are benefits. Patience in adversity, thankfulness in prosperity. And you should see that those benefits are the blessings and benefits of salvation. Not everyone in the world, but only God's people can be patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity. That connection is also brought out when it says that these benefits come through faith, that we place our firm trust. Trust is faith in the faithfulness of God our Father. And one place that we see the faithfulness of God our Father is not only in His faithfulness towards us with matters of salvation, but in matters of providence. And then lastly, consider this, the quote in the Catechism that says, nothing shall separate us from His love. Now, the reason given for that in the Catechism is that nothing shall separate us from His love since all creatures are so in His hand that they cannot without His will so much as move. But implied, of course, is move against us. Move so as to hurt and harm us. That they are in His hand so that God directs them in a way that they work for our advantage in salvation. And that this is the case is brought out by the quote just before us, that nothing shall separate us from His love. You recognize that, do you not? That's from the book of Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 makes clear why it is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's not simply that He's the God of providence. But He's the God of our salvation. He's the God who has redeemed us. He's the God who has given us our Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. He is the God who has joined us to Jesus Christ. And that's why nothing can separate us from His love. So I want to this morning especially make that connection as we consider the Father's providence. And we're going to look at that under three headings, that this is the working of His hand, secondly, the accomplishing of His will, and finally, the comforting of His people. The Catechism here and in the previous Lord's Day mentions God's providence. It does so in Lord's Day 9 when it not only assigns God's work of creation to the Father, but also providence when it says, who likewise upholds and governs the same by His eternal counsel and providence. Notice there a connection between providence and creation. And then notice also a connection between His eternal counsel and providence. More on that 
in just a little while. But notice, also in that same Lord's Day, Lord's Day 9, providence was explained even. When the Catechism says that God is for the sake of Christ His Son, my God and Father, there's the answer to the question, well, how is God my Father? The answer is not naturally through birth, not naturally through my connection to Adam, but God is my Father for the sake of Christ His Son. So that all we say about the Father's hand of providence must be viewed in that light. That does not mean that this hand of providence is a Father's hand for everyone, but it is that to me and to you. Notice also that we confessed in the previous Lord's Day that because of this I rely on Him entirely and that I have no doubt but He will provide talking there about providence again. Provide me with all things necessary for soul and body and further that He will make whatever evils He sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage for He is able to do it being Almighty and willing to do it being our Father. Did you notice that the Catechism in Lord's Day 9 while explaining the phrase I believe in God the Father Almighty Maker of heaven and earth spends much of its time explaining providence. That's remarkable. Then, as if that were not enough, maybe we missed the point. We have an entire Lord's Day here now on God's providence. And here, the Catechism expands on it. Now that ought to tell us right at the outset how important providence is both to God Himself, that this is a mighty and extensive work of God, every bit as important as our salvation, so that one may never look at God's work merely and simply as salvation, but one cannot see one without the other, that they both bring comfort in their own way and are connected, even inseparable. One cannot really truly understand salvation, even really without understanding God's providence. That's one thing that we ought to draw away from this. Now I want to point out a couple of those connections that are made in the Catechism. The first is between providence and creation. This connection is evident from the treatment of the Catechism itself where there is hardly even any treatment of creation, God's making of the heavens and earth. And in its treatment of God's making of the heavens and earth, 
interweaves, intertwines that work of God called providence that ought to tell us something. There's a close, close relationship there. The relationship is brought out here in the Catechism and in the Belgic Confession. That connection, of course, is that God provides for. God's work of providence is upon and within the same or the very creation that He made. That is an important part of our confession. Who likewise upholds and governs the same. That is, the same things that He made. So important are the things He made. God made things with an important purpose, made them deliberately, not haphazardly. There's nothing here in this creation that God has made that isn't here with purpose and design. The creation of the worlds and everything that they contain, everything that's found here is deliberate and purposeful, is something that God brought forth really brought forth from his mind. So that as we even considered last week, there is a connection between creation and God's mind, or his will, or his counsel. God's creation is the bringing into existence that which he has determined and purposed in his mind. He brings them into reality that which he has thought, that which he has willed and determined. And therefore also, when God provides for the same, God will be also providing out of and according to that same counsel or will. The relationship, the close relationship between Creation and providence, therefore, is that God provides, He upholds and governs that which He has made, and that both works of God proceed from His counsel. One cannot have a creation that just happens by fortune or chance without a providence that's according to fortune or chance. Or if one has one, one has the other. One cannot say that the creation was by the determined counsel and will of God without providence also being the same. So the very close relationship there between creation and providence, that relationship is also found in the creative act itself, where God didn't only call things into existence from nothing. He did that, of course. He created out of nothing, or as the book of Hebrews says, the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. All things came from nothing. But at the same time, God also in creation 
formed and fashioned those things he called into being. Many different words are used in the creative process. Words that indicate care and concern and use not only of God's mouth, he created things by his word, but also, importantly, by his hand. The same hand that will be used for providence is the same hand, for example, that he used to fashion and form Adam and Eve to make them. Didn't simply call them into existence. He formed, he fashioned them, indicating that their creation was for a specific purpose. They were made just so, just the way God wanted. And that's going to be reflected then in providence. So that's the close connection, and yet they're different. The Scriptures make clear there's a distinct difference between the two. We read in the Holy Scriptures that God ceased creating on the sixth day, and that on the seventh day He rested, thus instituting the eternal Sabbath. God no longer creates, at least in the same sense that it's used for His creation in the beginning, the calling into being of something that was not there. From then on, God's work was providence. Thou hast made the heaven and earth, we read in the book of Nehemiah. Thou hast made the heaven and the earth and the seas and preservest them all. Preservation, preserving, is the work of God's providence. God spake, we read in Psalm 33, and it was done. It was brought into existence. God created, then we read, and God commanded, and it stood fast. And yet God continues to uphold and govern the same. So, a close but distinct relationship between God's work of providence and His work of creation, even as there's a close relationship between God's creation itself and His providence of that creation. When we look more closely at this work of God, we see that it is as encompassing or all-encompassing or as comprehensive as the created creation itself. That too belongs to the truth of God's providence. To put it another way, there is nothing that God has made that He doesn't also provide for. In other words, there's nothing that He has made that His hand of providence does not touch. We must remember that. It's not the truth that God governs only the good and not the evil. And you would be surprised at how many Christians, at least so-called, believe that. Believe that God is God only of the good and not 
any evil. The devil has charge over those things. God really doesn't even have control over the devil then. But no, part of the wonder of providence is how extensive it is, good and evil. God rules over not only the great, great events in world history that all of the world knows and it is aware of, but the small, tiny events that occur behind the scenes, beyond the pale of human understanding, or even behind and beyond His observation. Long before men knew there were creatures that could kill and harm that we could not see except with microscopes, God ruled over them all. Part of the majesty of God's creation and the wonder of it is that man can never truly understand or plumb even the full comprehensive nature of God's providence. And how often the Scriptures remind us of that too. Creatures we didn't even know existed. Animals that are on hills yet to be discovered. Creatures here and there and everywhere. God has His eye on. Not only in the day, but in the night. God governs and controls not only human beings, but the tiniest of animals. Not only the creatures that live, but the animals or the creatures that are inanimate and seem to do nothing. God's providence extends not only over the mightiest, mightiest stars of the galaxies without number, but even to the sand of the seashore. He numbers them. He calls them all by name. Notice how God's providence, just like His work of creation, is designed and purposed for praise and honor and glory of Him. Which, of course, has to do with matters of salvation, doesn't it? Notice also about this work of God that there are two parts to it. We often combine into one erroneously. But notice the catechism here, and not only the catechism here, but the Belgic Confession uses similar language, that it is the work of God upholding and governing. To uphold means to hold up, to hold out. That is, to keep something in existence. Part of our foolish depravity and unbelief by nature is that we think things just exist. Not only are we prone to deny that God is the Creator, but these things that we see that were in fact created, even if we acknowledge that God created them, think that they exist on their own. Not so. Not even the unbelieving wicked person who has dedicated his life to hating God and rebelling against Him exists apart from God. In Him, 
Paul said. We live and move and have our being. And he was referring there not simply to Christians. God is the God of the world, the universe. God exists, on the one hand, transcendent, far above and beyond the creation He has made. God is not bound by the creation He made, but rather made it. It serves Him. He does not serve it. God is so far transcendent beyond the world that He must interact with it through a hand. There has to be something, as it were, that mediates, that stands between God and the creation He made. That's His hand. In the same way that you would interact with something, whether it's another human being or an animal or a rock, through your hand, so also God. The very fact that providence is the work of His hand indicates that God stands above and beyond the creation. Yet at the same time, the marvel is that that phrase indicates God is marvelously close with that hand. That God doesn't simply, having made the world, stand afar off and stare at things, so that everything is just occurring by some sort of mechanism, occurring on its own. He made things and now they exist on their own, apart from Him. But His hand is everywhere. It's not the case that God's hand is only here in church today. That God's hand is only operative in your life as His children. But God's hand is in the seas. It's in the farthest reaches of outer space. God's hand is in the darkness as well as in the light. His hand is in the storm as well as in the nice sunny day we enjoy on the beach. You cannot escape that hand. Wherever one might go or flee or travel, His hand is there. Remember that when we speak about God's presence and nearness. That when we speak that way, we're speaking about God's nearness in providence. That this is the case is brought out when the Catechism cites, and nothing can separate us from His love. Now God's hand is on the ungodly and wicked. His hand is there upholding them. And without that hand upholding Him, they would vanish, as it were, from existence. They would cease to be. But His hand is not over them in love. They do not see that hand as their Father's hand. But remember that, for us, we do not see, as it were, two hands, two different hands of God, one of His salvation, so that God is near us in salvation, and a saving hand, and then there's another one of providence. No, the one in the same hand. So God upholds all things, and He governs them. That is, He directs them toward an end, toward a purpose. He moves them. He rules over them. He not only says, this shall be, let there be, but this is what it shall do. 
And it does. And he's continually doing that. Now with regard to connecting these, I want to just point out a couple things yet. If in fact God's hand is his fatherly hand for us, and God is our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, then the question is, what is that hand? What is that hand? What is the hand by which God now governs and controls all things? What is the hand that He places on you and protects you from all things? So that what we read here is true. That He turns all things to my advantage. That hand whereby we are loved. The hand of God that embraces us. What? Or maybe we should say, who? Who is that hand? It is our Lord Jesus Christ. That should not surprise us or shock us. For we read that God made or created the worlds by that hand. Oh, yes, He created all things by the Word, our Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1 we read, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. God made all things by His Son, the Word, His hand. Would God now use a different means to work providence? A different word or a different hand? The answer is, of course not. So now, is it possible for us to separate God's work of providence and salvation? Oh, they are distinct. And that work of God's hand is not, therefore, a saving, gracious hand toward those who are not in Christ, but a hand of righteous indignation and wrath, a hand that does not make things work out for their advantage, even though it may seem like to them and to others. But it is for us, and we must understand that. You can no more have comfort in God's providence than you can of His salvation except by faith. And if one has faith in the one, he has faith in the other. Forsake the one and you forsake the other. So connected are these things. This is the idea that Christ descended into heaven and sits at God's right hand. That that hand of God's providence, as it were, by which He makes, He exists causes all things to exist and governs them, is now not simply His Son through the power of His Spirit, but is our Lord Jesus Christ and done through His Spirit with regards to us. Now, we also want to point out that this work of God's hand is deliberate, purposeful. It accomplishes His will. There, too, there is a connection with salvation. Even as we say that all of salvation occurs not by the will of man, who is saved, how they are saved, to what end they are saved isn't determined by your will and my will, what we want, what others want, but it is all determined by God. So also, providence. 
Even as God created all things out of His mind and out of His will, out of His counsel, so also providence. And that means then that even in that regard, God works salvation through providence. There too, one cannot separate the two. That's brought out by our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He was, says Peter, delivered to the cross. He was hung on the cross. He died on the cross by wicked hands of men who slayed Him. But it was done by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was done even by the hand of God. The greatest evil that ever happened. The greatest sin of mankind, crucifying God's Son, was the work of God's counsel and providence. God's providence made it all happen just so. God realizes His counsel, His mind, His will. That's one of the things that makes God so wonderful. He doesn't simply dream up things or imagine them. His will isn't such that things go unaccomplished, unfulfilled as they do for us. We may say, when I grow up, this is what I'm going to do or think. Or we may set our mind on something and say, this is my goal, this is my purpose. We make resolutions and promises and all kinds of things and are powerless to fulfill them. God is not. And we may see, and we must see, and faith in God's providence sees, that everything He does is for a purpose, for an end. What is that end and what is that purpose? Well, connect it to God's hand. It is so that all things that God has made, that God continues to uphold and govern by His fatherly hand, all things, good and evil, reprobate and elect, men of faith and women of unbelief, doesn't matter, young and old, rocks and hills, animals, all things, return to Him, glorify Him. In one way or another, praise Him through our Lord Jesus Christ. One last thing then, we must see that God's work of providence is deliberately and purposefully then for our comfort. It's not that we are comforted, that we benefit. And this is always the great truth that's brought up when our creeds teach providence. And the Scriptures too. Time and time again, they bring this up. Even Isaiah 43, which is very much about the salvation of Israel, ties into providence. Ties into matters of creation. Look, Israel, remember, I created you. I formed you. I fastened you. That's creation language. God governed their entire life through providence. God showing who He is. What's the point? Well, God does that deliberately for our comfort. Unspeakable comfort, says the Belgic Confession. For our advantage, says the Heidelberg Catechism. That's deliberate. It's not just an incidental effect. It's not something that just happens to come as a result of providence. No. We have faith in God's providence. We believe in it. And I hope by now you understand it is impossible to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, without believing in God's providence. 
If you, for example, are bitter and angry against God because of some evil, some trouble, then you will not have faith in Him as your Lord and Savior either. They go together. Why? Same hand. Same mind and will of God. You cannot say it's impossible to reason. Well, God is for me in matters of salvation. God loves me with regard to salvation, but in this world, He's against me. He hurts me. He's unrighteous toward me. Can't do that. No, God deliberately and purposefully teaches us providence so that we might be comforted. How is that so? Well, two things now, for sure, that the Catechism highlights patience and adversity. The truth of providence is not that God takes away adversity. Saw that already in Lord's Day 9. There will be evil. There will be tears. This is a valley of tears. But God will deal with them in such a way that they're for my benefit, for my advantage. They work my salvation and deliverance. And therefore, patience. Patience is to bear up under them without becoming bitter and angry at God. Then thankful and prosperity. You and I might think, well, of course we're going to be thankful in prosperity. That's easy. No, it's not. In many ways, that's much harder than being patient in adversity. Many of us are very prosperous. God is very beneficent to us, gives us much more than we can use. And those are the times we are most tempted to forget God. And what do we forget? That all that gold and silver in your bank account didn't come from your hard work? from your ingenuity and your good investments, but came from his fatherly hand. And what he gave, he can take away, including your children and home and family, as Job learned. And remember, again, that's what God wants to teach us, to be thankful in prosperity. Also, not only does that imply comfort in this life, but hope, and especially notice hope for the future, that God will do good to me in the future, that all things which may hereafter befall us. And even though politically, economically, morally, things look very, very bad, even though I know what the Bible says about what's coming in the future, I know that whatever comes is for my advantage, for my Salvation. Why? Again, because the God of my salvation, the God who loves me, I can't be separated from because it's His fatherly hand that provides for me and for all of His children. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and Father, we thank Thee for Thy word of truth. Give us faith to believe not only in Christ as our Savior, but as our provider, as thy hand by which we are fed and cared for in this world, that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and have good hope for the future. In Jesus' name, amen.